0: Okay, let's get into 2 Peter chapter 2, and I believe we got notes out. Anybody need notes out there? All right, we need notes right here, if we can get them all fixed up. Good to see you out, appreciate your faithfulness tonight. I always love to see young adults and young families on Sunday night. I love to see everybody, but I kind of expect... Some of you will be here, and it's great to see young adults and young families who are faithful to God's house. Second Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read the first eight verses tonight and do our best to work our way through them. Uh, there are some of these that maybe are going to be more difficult for us to really get a grasp on, and so we're going to pray that God will give us insight into His truth tonight. Second Peter 2, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words Make merchandise of you. That's where we'll get on, our title tonight. Making merchandise. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that send, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example at those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelleth among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds." And even though we're not going to cover it, I want to go ahead and read verse number nine in the context here. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And let's pray, Father, give us wisdom and insight into your words, and i I pray that you'd unite our hearts together. We'd find something, not only uh, in a way of knowledge or in a way of understanding the scripture, but something practical that we could use in our lives, even this week. I thank you for each one who's here. Guide us now. We ask it in your name. Amen. All right. so we ended chapter 1 with this process of how the Word of God was transmitted. And remember the prophets of old, over a span of about 1600 years, uh, 40 different men were used by God. To transcribe what the Holy Spirit had spoken to them, and uh, that's kind of the transmission process that's listed at the end of verse number, or chapter one, verse number twenty-one. Uh, we'll read it again. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So these are true prophets. Okay, there's there's no way that we could discount that they were true prophets, and and uh, Paul took this up as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he talked about how the true prophets had been given words from God. And they would complete the finished revelation. But here in this context, in 2 Peter chapter 2, now we find out in verse number 1, but there were false prophets also. So, just like there were true prophets, there were a lot of false prophets. And even if you read the book of Acts, during the time when uh, the Jews who had been born again and who were following Jesus and going into synagogues and uh, healing people all over the city, you may remember that as this uprising was taking place, that one of, the, uh, one of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, stopped everybody. And he said, don't worry about these guys. There was another group that followed a man, uh, about 300 people. And it kind of faded off. And there was another group that that rose up. And don't worry about these uh, people who are following this Jesus guy. But then he said something very interesting. He said, if it's of God, we can't stop it anyway. Right? So, obviously, there's true prophets that cannot be stopped by any person. I love to read in the book of Revelation... And I don't, clearly don't understand it all. I've read it many, many times, but I don't necessarily get all of it. And when you read about the two prophets who will prophesy during the tribulation period, and the Antichrist will hate them. I literally despise them. And yet, he can't take them out. There's nothing he can do to them until God allows it. And then they'll be killed before the whole world. It'll be on CNN... It'll be on Twitter. It'll be everywhere. And then three and a half days later, they'll rise up and ascend up into heaven. So uh, true prophets can't be stopped by anything this world has to offer. And yet, there's this alternative of false prophets that are in every age. So there were false prophets. And then he says, even as there shall be false teachers... So, there have been some, there's going to be some. And we started in your notes that I <coughs> with this. Besides the true prophets discussed in the previous chapter, there were also false prophets ready to deceive. Now, let's figure out how they deceive. I, I know that there are uh, many churches that have difficulties. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, yeah in Arkansas a couple weeks ago, and yeah, they just lost a, a big group of people from their church, maybe eighty or a hundred people, and yeah, one of his closest friends had started reading books on Calvinism and yeah, you know the best book I've ever found to read on Calvinism is this book right here because I found out that it was around a long, long time before there was ever a guy named Calvin. And so God told us exactly what He wants us to think right in the, in the Word of God. It's pretty interesting how that works. By the way, that was around before Arminius too. And it was around before every famous teacher that there's ever been in any century since Jesus Christ. The best thing to read is the Bible. It just got off on a tangent. But he was talking to me about his friends started reading these books on Calvinism. And his friend never got up in front of a church service and said, you know what, everybody... Uh, I really believe in Calvinism and I think that anybody who wants to follow me, let's just go start our own church. It would never happen. What he would do is he'd start having a couple people over to his house, Okay? And then he'd have a couple more people over to his house. And then they started having a small group meeting at their house. And uh, before you know it, he had influenced a great number of people in a, in a negative direction. And it, so, this is what it's talking about here. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. And uh, so, you know, without getting into any of what I just talked about with Calvinism, you may or may not even know what that is. But um, there are heresies that occasionally are brought into the Christian faith in every age. And uh, there are people who buy into. Uh, different movements and yeah, different books that are written, and different teachers that speak on the radio. And uh, you may remember several years ago, uh, there was a, a man who was very respected in the prophecy movement who he did the unpardonable. He set a date. He said, Jesus is coming back on this day. Boy, you just, just don't ever do that. Okay? And that's a bad thing to do. If Jesus said, Only God Himself knows the day and the hour. and So don't ever get into that, but He had a a large group who followed Him. And so we have this in every age where these heresies are brought in, but sometimes they're brought in by people who may have good intentions initially, but they begin uh, sometimes to get to the point where they deny the Lord. And that's that would be an aggressive heresy is one that denies the Lord. So we said in your notes here, false teachers are subtle, often beginning to influence in private before openly delivering their self-chosen doctrines. And any time you have strife, discontentment, heresy taking place, you find people who like to speak in corners, the Bible says. And they like to pull people away in private first, get them on their side, and then they began to create a movement through that. And that was happening in the early church, just like it happens in the 21st century. Look at this—the end of this verse, though—it's very interesting. It says, "Even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction." Now, when we initially think of think of this and look at that phrase, we would think, well, how could someone who's bought by Jesus ever have destruction? Right? Because Jesus Himself uh, says that if we believe, we're not condemned. And if we believe not, we're condemned already. And once you believe in Jesus, you can't ever have eternal destruction. So so what's it talking about here? I was trying to figure this out. And we explain it in your notes. Jesus paid it all on the cross, even for those that would never believe, or those that would become false teachers. So, Jesus' act on the cross of buying the human race, of pardoning the human race through His own blood, is not dependent on any of us and what we decide. Okay, So when Jesus died on the cross, He paid for the sins of the whole world. For those who would believe in him, and for those who would never believe in him. Those who would deny him. Okay, so don't get confused at the end of that verse and uh, get crossways on salvation. Verse number two Many shall follow their pernicious ways. And this is talking about lascivious acts that would begin to take place in combination with faith. And uh, this began to happen uh, in the first centuries, even after Jesus had risen from the dead, where false doctrine would often accompany uh, horrific acts within the local church and within the church as a whole. And uh, there would not only be false doctrine that would be brought in, but there would be a lascivious lifestyle that would be brought in. And uh, this happens any time you try to synthesize truth with a lie, you end up with not only false doctrine, but you end up up with false living. You know what doctrine is? It's what you live. It's just truth and practice. That's all it is. So if your life is against the Word of God, you really do believe in false doctrine. Okay? Um, It's sometimes tough to wrap your brain around that, but... You know, a lot of people say, well, I've got good doctrine. I know the Bible the right way, but, you know, I cheat on my wife or, you know, I go buy marijuana whatever I want or whatever it is. They've, they've got their lifestyle and they try to separate it from their doctrine. And what God teaches us is that doctrine and lifestyle cannot be separated. They're one and the same. You live what you really believe, right? So this is why it says, many shall follow their pernicious ways, And then it goes even further. It says, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now think about in our culture, who are the people that hate truth the very most? Let's go ahead and think about that. Who are the ones that hate truth the very most? I think some of you are thinking politically here. Um, And that's probably true too, but it's it's those who worship humanism. It's those who worship some type of false belief system. Some type of false worldview. And because they hate truth so much, they're going to talk against God because they don't want to admit that there is a God. They don't want to admit that there is sin. And that's why they use God and Jesus' curse words. And that's why... Everything in their lives has to be a pushback against God, even though they say, well, we don't even really believe in God. Right? So, this is happening in the first century, and this is the outcome at the end of verse number two. The way of truth is evil spoken of. In your notes, we put that verse together by saying this. False doctrine and immoral practices normally end up in partnership. Those on the Broadway more easily follow lies. It's easier to follow lies than it is to pursue truth. Truth sets you free, but truth is hard. Because truth just hits you. It, it doesn't move. Truth is foundational and it's unmoving. And uh, that's why we don't like to be told the truth. Paul said to the Galatians, "Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth?" And a great way to make enemies in life is tell people the truth. That's just a fabulous way to make enemies. And and so God uh, has known this all along and is giving us this direction. Now verse number 3, look at this description of false teachers. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, these are words that are pretend, not authentic, manipulating, make merchandise of you. So what it's trying to tell us is false teachers see humanity or human beings as a commodity. They don't see human beings as souls who are going to spend eternity somewhere. False teachers always see people as merchandise, as something that can be used or moved or manipulated. And we have to be careful even in Christianity, even in a local church that we don't get that mentality with each other. We have to be careful that we don't use each other in the body of Christ, but that we love and appreciate each other the way God wants us to. And uh, boy, I've been thinking about that a lot this last week or two. And so, through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. In your notes, we explained it this way. Recognition of false teachers requires spiritual discernment. But, covetousness and self-promotion are usual signs. All right? So, covetousness and self-promotion are usual signs. Now, the best way to recognize false teachers is to get in the Word of God. That's always the best way. Right? And people ask me sometimes, uh, is there a book I could read where I know when a false teacher's you know, coming or if I know what they say isn't right? Yeah, there is actually. There's a book you can read. It's called the Bible. And if you will know the Bible inside and out and study it and love it and, and uh, really get on your knees with God about the Word of God and memorize the Word of God, then you're going to know when a false teacher shows up. And you may not know chapter and verse, but you're going to know that just doesn't sound right with what I've read in God's Word. And sometimes you just get this sensation that the Holy Spirit is not speaking through that individual. And have you ever had that? Or maybe you're in an environment where it could even be a a Christian thing, or maybe it's a Christian program on television, and you just sense that the Holy Spirit's not involved in this. And And so sometimes it takes a while to figure out what it was, Sometimes it takes a while to figure out scripturally where it was off, but God gives His children discernment in this if we'll get in the Word of God, and if we get to know the real thing, the Word of God. Now, the end of verse 3 sets up the entire rest of the passage that we study tonight. Whose judgment, now of a long time, lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So, God has promised that these false teachers who deliberately lead people away from truth have a severe punishment coming. Okay, When they deliberately lead people away from truth. Now, it's hard to discern this, right? Because all of us know um, people who maybe are false teachers or involved in a false religion... Uh, I was sitting across from a a bishop of the LDS um, church group uh, the other night on an airplane, and we were both watching the same football game. And he was happier than I was at the very end of the game. I was just kind of watching to see what he was reading, and just curiosity, watching people a little bit. You know what? Really normal guy. And I'm not... A person who would be able to judge, only God could judge, whether he knowingly is teaching a false way, or whether he's been duped so much by a false way that he continues to go down that path. And I don't know if any of us can discern that with, with people. Some of us can. We, you know, you've probably met people before, seen people, and you've thought in your mind, that person is pure evil. That person is of the devil. Um, they are promoting a devilish way or a devilish path. And uh, we don't always know this, but God does. And so God has given us this assurance and given all believers an assurance where He says their judgment is not going to linger and their damnation is not going to slumber. And so we said it in your notes, rest assured that God's justice on false teachers is not asleep. God does not appreciate false teachers. Because Jesus is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And for those who deliberately push people on the broad way toward destruction, God does not have any room in His grace for that type of action. And it's, it's them who choose it. though. I want you to notice this in the verse. If you look down again verse number 1 I want you to notice a three-word phrase. It says even I denying the Lord that bought them and look at this next phrase and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So this isn't God all of a sudden deciding that they need to be destroyed. This is false teachers bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, how did they bring upon themselves swift destruction? I want you to note that it's the same way that anyone brings upon themselves swift destruction. Look back up in the phrase. It says, denying the Lord. Do you know what will bring any person swift destruction and eternal death? Denying the Lord. Okay, so this is not uh, somewhere that's far out of of the doctrine that's already been taught. It's right in the core values of God's doctrine. Where Jesus says, listen, if you receive Me, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to Myself. And if you receive Me, you'll receive My Father and you'll be one with us. But if you deny Me, you're denying My Father and you will have destruction. That's what He told the people. That's what He told the Pharisees. That's what false teachers are being told here. And uh, the only way to face eternal destruction is to die having denied Jesus Christ. So that's whether you're a false prophet, that's whether you're somebody who goes to a church in any part of the world. And uh, that's what this passage is confirming for us. All right, let's move down and see what this destruction is going to look like. So, verse number four. He says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Isn't that good? So God's giving us the essence of His salvation in the Old Testament. Now, there are groups of people who I believe were saved, and they're what we would call, I'm going to give you a big word, um, not because I'm trying to impress you, I'm trying to explain it. There are people who call themselves hyper-dispensationalists. So, H-Y-P-E-R, hyper-dispensationalists. And here's what they think. They think that Noah got saved by building an ark. And they think that Abraham got saved by leaving his country. And they think that in the the end times that people will be saved by refusing the mark of the beast. And and they're called hyper-dispensationalists. So they believe in grace for our age, but they believe that people were saved by works in other ages. And it's contrary to Scripture. It's not even true. Who does God use as the father of faith? Example in the Bible. Abraham. Right? I mean, he's the father of faith. Read Romans chapter 4. What does it say about Noah in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it's clearly not a biblical teaching to to think that. And this says, but save Noah. Who saved Noah? According to our text, God did. God saved Noah. Noah didn't save himself. His acts did didn't save him, but God saved him. If you go back up to verse 4, it says, For if God, and then it goes through verse 4, "spared not the old world, verse 5, but save Noah. So God saved Noah. The only way to get to heaven is for God to save you in any age. But we see this in your notes now. When God sends destruction on the ungodly, He provides deliverance for those made righteous by faith. So, when God destroys these false teachers, those who have been saved by grace through faith in the same age in which those false teachers lived will be spared. They'll be saved. And so we see these three examples now of the wicked that we go ahead and say in your notes this way that were not spared. Three examples are offered here of wicked entities that were not spared. The first group is the fallen angels. And it's interesting that they're here because they denied the deity of God in heaven. And they're grouped right here with false teachers. They followed Lucifer, and we find out later in Revelation that a third of the stars were cast out of heaven. A third of the angels followed Lucifer. That's a lot of angels. Right? We don't even know exactly how many angels there are, but there are millions and millions and millions of angels. And a third of them followed Lucifer. We also find out in Revelation that God locked up a whole bunch of them in a special pit, and they've never been let out. And they'll be let out during the tribulation period. And uh, there's two specific ones that have been locked up down there for a really long time that are really bad hombres. Um, hombres. Use a Spanish word to describe angels. When, why do we do that? But is, Somebody help me. Did you know the number of angels in the bottomless pit? Is it 130 million? 130,000? It's a big number. Right? You guys can research that and look it up. But These angels have been locked and reserved, it says. They've delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So, there's a group of the angels that were cast out of heaven who still reside on the earth. Okay, God allowed them to have the earth as the place where they would dwell and, of course, Uh, Satan is their leader and he deceives people with them and, and through them. But then there's a group of the angels that were so bad, had done such a horrible thing against God, that they have never been taken out of their prison since they were cast into that prison. So that's the first example. The next example is the old world. And it says, spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, Noah is called the eighth person here, not because there were only eight people when the flood happened, but because he was the eighth generation from Adam. right? And in that time period, because of how long they lived... They had uh, even in just eight generations, there were a lot of people, right? Um, have you ever been to your family reunion? And uh, maybe uh, I remember our family reunion like 20 years ago on my dad's side. There was probably like 35 or 40 of us. And we had one a couple years ago. There's like 70 people at our our van man and family reunion. And if we had one again now, there's probably like 95 people. People just keep having kids. Now, the interesting thing about us is most of us only have kids for a certain period of life, and then we're kind of out of the kid-making business, right? In the early years before the flood, they lived to be over 900 years old, right? They were still having children in their 600s. Pretty pretty awesome, right? Still having children in their six hundreds, and a, goodness gracious! So, and you read about some of the guys there, like they had their primary son, where it would say this guy lived 138 years and begat so and so, and then he lived uh, another 800 years and whatever. And you read about these generations. So there were only eight generations, but there were literally thousands and thousands of people on the earth already. Now by the time of Noah. Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, preaches to this crew for almost a hundred years while he builds the ark. Not one person listens to him. He only takes his own family on the ark. And so God now uses this example of those who have denied the Lord. So the old world. And then the last one is the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And at Sodom and Gomorrah... Of course, we're destroyed by fire within and without. And Lot had just left the city with his wife, who looked back and turned into a pillar of salt, and his two daughters, who succumbed to the wickedness of Sodom even after they had left the city, if you read their story. So it goes on to, to tell us some things about Lot that are very interesting that we'll study in just a second. <laughs> Let's go back up and talk about Noah. It says, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Isn't this interesting that God calls him a preacher even though nobody went to his church? Isn't that awesome? God calls him a preacher of righteousness, and the only people who he could get to come to his church every week was his wife and his three little boys. And then once they got married, one of the prerequisites for getting married was you got to come to church, right? And uh, the girl's like, "Do I have to? Really? Crazy? Noah's church? I got to go to his church? Yeah, that's the deal. If you want to be in the family, you know, you got to come to the church." So, and in fact, uh, some theologians believe that uh, one of Noah's daughters-in-law was a daughter of Cain, and there's a whole theory about how about. Sent the process of the Tower of Babel out, and she became the grandmother of Nimrod. And there's all sorts of theories on this, but you guys should read all the conspiracy theories from you know six thousand years ago. Um, but here Noah is preacher of righteousness. Nobody comes to his church, and yet God speaks highly of him, and it gives him deliverance. Then we see law. and if we look at this in verse number seven. And delivered just Lot. Now that doesn't mean only Lot, that means that Lot was delivered as a just man before God. And in fact it gives descriptions of Lot two more times in verse eight. For that righteous man Look later in the verse it says, Vexed his righteous soul. Have you ever read the story of Lot? Now, how many of you, when you read the story of Lot in Genesis 19, you're thinking, man, he was a righteous man. I don't see any hands out there. There's nobody who reads Genesis 19 and thinks, boy, Lot was righteous. He really stood up for God. In fact, when we read about Lot, we find that Abraham gives him a choice. You can go wherever you want, and he lifts up his eyes and looks towards Sodom. And then he pitches his tent towards Sodom. And then he goes and lives on the outskirts of Sodom. And then we find him in Sodom. And then we find that he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's a person of influence in Sodom. And when we read it in the Old Testament way, we're thinking, I tell you what, this Lot, he's had his whole life influenced by Sodom. And yet, God gives us a different picture here. And it really, it's insightful to us. Because... Lot was not made righteous by Lot. Lot was made righteous by God. See, this this is what we have to get. And you're not made righteous by you either. You're only made righteous by God. And I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people you're surprised to see. Right? That car salesman that tricked you? Like... Man, what are you doing here? How did you get here, right? Um, is, I was made righteous by Jesus, right? And some of us. We're going to look, whoa, how, look at his mansion. How did that happen? Not because of us, because of him. So the whole point on Noah and on Lot was that God's the one who did the sparing and that God's the one who did the saving in spite of these guys. And so two examples are offered of those who receive deliverance completely by God's grace. Noah and Lot. That's where verse 9 is going to fit in as we begin to study it next time. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So God is really good at delivering His children out of temptations. He's really good at it. And His salvation is eternal and it's wonderful. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a closing word. Glad you came out tonight. Good to see everybody. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would help us this week to rest in You and to realize that our righteousness is only because of Your righteousness. That our salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Uh, That we've been bought And I pray that you would help us to remember who we belong to this week and in our thoughts, our words, and our actions to live for you and to be what you've created us to be. Guide us safely from this place. Once again, protect those with requests and illnesses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.